The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class news desks covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you are not already an Athletic subscriber, for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome in. Uh, It is Tuesday, August 25th, which means it is time for another Hold That Podcast podcast. I'm your host, T-Bob Hebert. Uh, Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Brody Miller. Brody, what's up, dude? Uh, Well, we just got off another Ogeron press conference, which is kind of, I mean, I was talking to our producer, John, before the show, and it's just like, holy crap, football is actually like two weeks away from actually starting LSU fall camp is a week and a half into it and we're just having normal football conversations that don't feel like you know hedged in like well if it happens zone so it's kind of kind of weird times over here man how are you doing uh I'm doing quite well thank you for asking um my two kids and wife have left to go to the lake with my other family members uh I had to stay in work and while I miss them terribly uh, it is so weird to be completely alone with no responsibility. Ooh. I feel like what my, are you doing with it? I, 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 I mean, yesterday I just slept. Because we all remember what happened last year when you were alone for a while. You went to a dark place. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. I guess it's a yearly thing. Um, see if I can avoid the spiral this time. But uh, no, yeah. no. Yesterday I just slept, and then I played WoW, and then I went to sleep. It was crazy. Yeah, I, my, my entire existence feels like Ricky Bobby's hands right now. It's like I just don't know what to do with myself. I have so much freedom. Uh, it's kind of crazy. And so I'm going to use that freedom to talk some LSU football, Brody. Uh, and, yeah, it is exciting times in college football. It's just exciting times for kind of football in general. I mean, I keep thinking about the fact that we are within three weeks of watching Drew Brees and Tom Brady go toe-to-toe with some of the best offensive weapons in the NFL. Like, both of them have some of the best weapons. So, I, yes, I'm very football excited, and that's what we're going to talk about today as uh, we got a new AP poll. These Sports Illustrated still standing 16 are out. I like using those two together because the AP poll still has all the Big Ten and Pac-12 teams, so it gives you an idea of what you're missing. And then the still standing 16 gives you an idea of when you take those out how interesting they get. Uh, also, you mentioned Ogeron due to press conference. He spoke this morning. We learned some interesting things about the offensive line. Wait until you hear who he said looked like the best player on the field during practice. And uh, at the end, we'll have to make fun of Brody for the Philadelphia 76ers uh, completely failing, the process ending, and Brett Brown being fired. Uh, as always, the Hold That Pockets Pockets brought to you by The Athletic Look, y'all, it really helps us out if you rate or review it, share it, whatever. But then athletic.com slash hold that podcast. Sign up for The Athletic. It's a great sign-up deal. 40% off. You save money. It is the best sports site there is. All right, Brody. The AP Top 25 came out today. We will start there. Um, what were your initial reactions to what, you know, the big elite media had to say about college football? <laughs> 
I mean, overall, it felt relatively chalky, right? I don't know if there was too much that really, like, jumped out at me. I mean, I f- like, literally, if you would have asked me back in January what else is going to be ranked when the season comes around, I think I would have said six or seven. Well, they're number six. I, you know, you figured some combination of Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama is your top three. Well, that's, that order is exactly what the top three is. I guess Georgia being four, because they do seem like a polarizing team where some have them like nine, some have them four. I guess that that is news. And Oklahoma being ahead of LSU, especially because those are the two teams that LSU just absolutely annihilated last year. That is kind of interesting. But honestly, pretty pretty damn chalky. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. It was, so my, my reaction to the poll itself in terms of where LSU lands and everything else, it's the same exact conversations that we had with the Phil Steele top 25. Uh, it just shows that LSU definitely gardeners respect given all the pieces that they've lost. And, like, unless you really follow this team – then it's I, I think you're having to really trust just that they're going to be talented again because um, you, you see, like, you know, X amount of stars leaving, coaches leaving, and, and if I didn't follow LSU, I'd be like, oh, well, they're going to take a heavy drop-off. So there is some respect there, absolutely, absolutely. to be ranked six, but they are not uh, in the benefit of the doubt club. It's the hedge spot. Yeah. It's it's a spot where yes. you're like acknowledging like, hey, they can totally still compete for a playoff spot if like if they put it together, but also the acknowledgement that like, hey, they're like still definitely behind those first four or five teams. So it's a it's a perfect hedge spot. You can't go wrong with it. It just reinforces uh, what we talked about in terms of like the stakes for this season. In a lot of ways, they're not as high because you won an Addy, you did all these amazing things that gets you a lot of breathing room. In a different way, they are very high. Because the best way to join the benefit of the doubt club would be to immediately after a natty where you lose all these transcendent pieces would to be to be dominant once again, right? Like that's how you yeah. get in just with a two year streak instead of needing like a three or four or five like Clemson needed. Um, so I agree. So I don't want to go into the poll too much because as you said, not too many surprises. What's interesting about this to me is it's still comprises of the entire power five right so one of the big takeaways for me was simply that this is the first uh very it feels like a very concrete look at what you are going to be losing this season as nine of these 25 teams are not going to be there yeah i mean i was going to ask you i mean who who jumps out to you that you were just like i mean three of the top 10 aren't aren't going to play this year and who jumps out that you're most like just bummed from a personal like you enjoy watching perspective? I, 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 like, what's, yeah. Well, it's hard to start. With, I mean, I'll just start with the chalk at Ohio State, <laughs> right? I mean, nothing wrong with that. Digital playoff team, Justin Fields, et cetera, et cetera. I don't particularly like watching Ohio State play. Um, if I had to choose one that I like watching, Wait, why is play that? out of the top ten? Uh, just because it just they generally just feel like watching Alabama or Clemson play. You know, the majority of their games okay, are okay, exciting. Okay. Right. Um, I, I think just in terms of like watchability, Oregon is always probably fun. So out of the top 10, I would say them. What really jumped out to me was reading an ESPN article where the author described uh, how we won't get a chance to look at maybe the nation's best defense in the Oregon Ducks. And yeah, is that like really how good their defense is being viewed as going into this season? Oh, yeah. I mean, just the way they're recruiting. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau might be up there with the best defensive players in the country. I mean, that defense was pretty darn nasty last year, and it was brings back almost everybody. So, I I mean, I'm not saying I think they're number one. Like, I think, you know, like Alabama and Clemson, I'm sure, are going to be right there. But 
Oregon's look nasty. And Oregon is probably my answer, too, just because, like, I'm just so fascinated by how quickly they've kind of gotten that shit back together after really stagnating for a few years. And, like, the way they're recruiting right now, I was really excited to see, like, can Mario Cristobal, like, take this team up a notch to that top five or six in the country group that we all talk about. That was going to be the number one thing to follow because you're losing Herbert, so you know it's the benefit of the doubt club. It's the can-you-keep-the-machine-rolling club. So I was actually really excited to watch that, that defense. Yeah, I guess... My, I guess why the defensive line seems so shocking to me is that last year uh, I started watching Oregon really when it became kind of looking imperative that they win out so that Alabama would not you know, have a pathway to get back into the playoff. And that was like immediately when they lost. Like I, I, That Arizona <laughs> State game was just – that was some of the worst defense I had ever seen to give up a touchdown in the manner that they did. And when you look at what it cost them, it like – literally cost them everything they could have finally had the Pac-12 make a playoff they could have rep for the conference etc cetera, etc cetera. they would have been a far more exciting piece of that playoff than was uh Oklahoma but hey whatever they blew it so uh that said I, I'd still like watching them over Ohio State or Penn State because Penn so, State's boring I wanted to ask you though who okay now like let's do because uh, we'll never have a chance to talk about this again I mean, before everything got canceled, who do you think your pick for national champion would have been? Um, probably Clemson. I mean, I just think from a talent and ease of path situation, you're just not ever – nobody else has anything similar. So, I mean, that's true. So, if you're – yeah, if you're doing like a probability point of view thing, yeah, it's always going to be Clemson. But – I'm like wow. I kind of think I I was gonna pick. Wait, yeah, shit I on my be, answer, I belitt- I be- yeah, like, I really belittled you there. Yeah, the- <laughs> well, I'm gonna start doing that because you do that to me all the time. Yeah, for you being should. Honest. So I'm gonna you should. I'm gonna start just just really just dropping little digs about you know. Oh yeah, real no. I hope I hope that you um, do so I can expose you yeah. for how ridiculous it is. Go ahead with every dumbass non Clemson answer you're about to say. <laughs> No, I mean I I think my answer was gonna be Ohio State. That's why yeah. I kind of asked the question. Is that <laughs> I. I mean, I think I think my answer is either Ohio State or Alabama. I have imagine a the Alabama's. irony in accusing my answer of being chalk, and then your your glorious take <laughs> is that it's Ohio State or Alabama. No, no, I was dis. My sass came from. I know. I know. This is this is a good conversation to have. My sass came from the point of view of Clemson's the like is always going to be the right pick because you know they're going to make it. Yes. But yeah. that isn't necessarily who you think is like going to win in those four. You know what I mean? That's where like my bummer I think came from. But no, I'm sorry. So like no, but I, I, I think I guess but, that's but, a whole but I guess in this conversation, I mean, I, I I think Clemson would do to Ohio State what they did last season. Fair enough. Yeah. No, that that's fine. Yeah. I I just I have a gut feeling Ohio. Okay, this is tough. I think Alabama might truly. There's a chance Alabama is like holy crap, good next year, this year, and just uh, rolls. I, I think that. with Moses and Sertan and just like a way better front seven and that receiving core. I mean, obviously, it kind of comes down to Mac Jones and what he can do, but also we've seen them do plenty of things with lesser quarterbacks than Mac Jones. But that's a whole different thing. Anyway, I but I do have this feeling Ohio State. I mean, after like just the excruciating loss last year and what looked like it was probably the second best team in college football. If not the best, you can't even really write that off. And Oh my god, I, I hate think that takes so much, but yes, continue. Oh, I'm not saying I think that. Okay, come on. Um but I just think Justin Fields, year two in that system, Ryan Day's second year as a head coach, how close they were last year considering and added to how much they have coming back. Yeah. I just feel like they feel like the best recipe for like, oh, 
you know that like, you know because you know it's Clemson Ohio State are one two right and they're the teams that have the superstar quarterbacks yep. and it makes perfect sense but I feel like if I'm looking at Ohio State's full roster I kind of like that a smidge better than what I know of Clemson and I am countering that with the fact that Clemson like we always say is in the benefit of the doubt club and there's probably guys I don't know that are going to become superstars so I, I do couch that but I feel like I know Ohio State that entire roster is really good. I really like Justin Fields. I just have a gut feeling that would have been the national champion this year. So I am just bummed that like we'll never find out how good that that team could have been. Have Have you heard about? No, I mean for sure. And that's you know Justin Fields could have been a number one overall pick. Like he's trying to challenge Trevor Lawrence for that throne, and uh, and now who knows what his season is going to look like. Let's go back to Alabama for a second though, because Let's you do mentioned it. Mac Jones. Um, do you have any opinions on uh, the kind of the rumors that are brewing out of Tuscaloosa that there's a bit of a battle between Mac Jones and the freshman Bryce Young right now? I mean, I, here's what I'll say to that. I I thought when signing day hit, that was going to be like a – I thought it was like assumed that was going to be a massive you know competition. Yeah. Bryce Young was – depending on what you look at, number one player in the country. But then – you know, and then all of a sudden, this whole off season, and even like Alabama writers have talked like Mac Jones is the guy, and how like just like the entire conversation around them has been that Mac Jones is the quarterback. So I just kind of assume they know more than me, and I'm like, well, Mac, okay, I guess Mac Jones is the starter. But yeah, I mean, I think Nick Saban showed in the well, in the 2017 national championship game that that you know he's not afraid to play the true freshman if it comes to it. So. I mean, Bryce Young might be that good, and if you have the talent they have, if Bryce Young provides you more upside. I'm down with going Bryce Young. And, like, okay, let me ask you this. Do you think it being an all-SEC schedule makes you more comfortable with going with Bryce Young or less comfortable going with Bryce Young? I would say less comfortable because, ideally, you'd have – and I don't know what Bama's original schedule was like. They generally play in a kickoff game, so maybe it wasn't easy off the bat. But like, true, true. Ideally, you have uh, a couple cupcake games where even if you want to make that switch later, right, like it allows you – to uh to kind of Very to, to to dip your toe in the water, if you will, and see how they were like react with live game reps, whereas trusting a freshman against an all SEC schedule compared to Mac Jones, who has a small sample size, but the numbers are really good. But some people say they're good against bad teams, maybe not the best against good teams. I, I think they're pretty good overall. Like I think there's a ton of potential, but um <laughs> I, I don't know. I I don't I Cole Cuba came on the show and he pointed this out, just that there are uh, rumors swirling of a quarterback battle and yeah. that with a extended preseason, there's kind of a thought Ooh. process out there that maybe Bryce Young gets a little juice from that because he I mean, now has a much longer time to learn and uh, prepare for this offense. That makes a lot of sense, and Bryce Young is a holy crap talent, so I kind of love it. I mean, and we've—I think anything we've learned over the last few years, true freshmen are more ready. I mean, it's obviously case by case, but freshmen are kind of more ready to play in college football than they've ever been. Yeah. And the, the reason I asked you that SEC only question is, and this is probably falls in the Brody overthinking things category, but I almost wondered, like, okay, with the normal schedule, like you said. You kind of know Alabama has like two games in that schedule they might lose, right? And like, so you're kind of operating like don't blow it. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's more of like a mm. don't screw it up mentality where you maybe like you want to go Mac Jones because you know like you just don't want to ruin it. And then if you go SEC only schedule, and again I don't know if I believe this, I'm just spitballing here. You kind of have one or two acceptable losses baked in, 
You know, like if you lose a game, yeah. the season's not over. You're still probably getting in the playoff. And like in that realm, maybe it is more okay to go Bryce Young because like he's a true freshman, so he's probably going to have one or two games where he screws up. But he also probably is more upside than Mac Jones and has so much talent that like maybe it's okay to let him have a game or two where he like really learns and has some trouble, but then like his highs are actually better and can, can get you more. And again, I, I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate there, but I almost wonder if that makes it easier to go with him. But probably not. Yeah. I mean, I I think I think I mean I think well, this is a boring answer, but I think it's a bit of a wash. But you are speaking absolutely to the dynamics of the battle, which is you have your more conservative, safe, you know, eight and two, seven and three play versus your high risk, high reward, nine and one, six and four. Although I can't really see him going six and four, right? It'd be like nine and one versus like seven yeah. and three or something. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll see though. Just something to keep an eye on going forward. Bryce Young. Um, so that is so the AP top twenty-five. Uh, other teams that are missing uh, that I that I am bummed are not going to get it. There's Wisconsin at twelve, Michigan at sixteen, USC. Yeah, at Wisconsin is a bummer. Even though most people don't like watching them. Oh no, they I, just know, I yeah no, I don't think they're a bummer. I don't really care about watching. I like oh, I like, I like watching. I think they're so close to like legitimately prove because they are the one team that is always top eight that gets well them and Notre Dame but Notre Dame like really is proven they don't deserve it Wisconsin's the one team in that like consistent top eight that just gets diminished at all times and it's like well they're gonna lose they're gonna blow it and I think Wisconsin is so close and I'm not even saying they're there yet I'm just saying they're so close to like getting over that Ohio State threshold I they almost had them last year so that's the only reason I'm because I, I just want them to prove it. I like I like Wisconsin for the same reason I like Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State which is I love big brand name yeah. college football tradition. Uh, There's a purity. Yes. That said, I don't particularly like their games are not that exciting normally. Um, Michigan. Wow, it's, offensive line guy doesn't like Wisconsin football. Look, I'm, a spre- right. I'm spread Ogeron Moving on, now, moving dude. on. Spread Ogeron, okay? Right. I live in an air. All I think about is touchdowns and yards per attempt and yards per route run and, you know, like how to beat covered. Like, I don't care about powers or anything like that anymore. No, I get it. I'm more of a trench guy than you. All right, good to know. <laughs> moving on, moving on, uh, moving on. No, the team, what I was going to do, the team that I am going to miss, that I did fall in love with from the Big Ten last year, and that is P.J. Fleck in Minnesota, man. I really, I really wanted to see where P.J. Fleck was going to be at this year. So that's a big bummer to me. You know, and then yeah, the last one I'll throw out. It's the one I always throw out in the shows. I was just—I don't even know if I was sure they were going to be good, but I was just excited to see what USC was going to do because they have so much talent at receiver. I really like Edon Slovis. You know, Graham Harrell, the OC, and now like you imagine they're probably going to lose some guys to the draft. And now like this was their chance to save Clay Helton because like I would imagine next year after this year is actually we'll see who stays and whatnot. But like. If guys leave the draft, especially the way they've recruited under Helton, they're probably going to take a big dip after this year. So I'm, I, that's actually a fun like thing to debate is like what does all does to Helton? Because this year was going to be Helton's like savior job year, and now who knows what's going to look like well, next year? He, so that's one. He at least got another six months on the job, right? <laughs> that is one way to look at it. But yeah, I mean, like if like two receivers go pro and Graham Harrell takes an NFL job or like whatever happens, all of a sudden it's like all that hope for whatever was gonna be is gonna be hinged on like the class he had last year, which was what, like fifty second in the country or something like that. So yeah, I don't know. But anyway. Okay, so yeah, so then sorry. Let's pivot to the Yes. No, no, do you want you ready to move on? Wow. Uh we're simpatico. If that we were in a room that would have worked perfectly because yes, I was just about to say, you know, okay, so there's 
your AP Top 25. Now, <laughs> let's go to the Sports Illustrated Still Standing 16. If you're a fan of alliteration, this poll They've is They've been for big you. on alliteration lately. Uh, I, I am such a shameless fan of alliteration. I have... No problem proclaiming my love for it. So I, I love this idea. The because Ross Ross has been calling the six conferences still playing the stubborn six. So yeah, there you they're go. Really, they're really big on alliteration and numbers lately. So that's a real theme we're learning from Ross and Pat. But, no, I'm excited about this this top 16 mainly because... Wait, so what it is, I mean, what it is, for people listening, yeah, obviously. Sorry. So uh, 60% of college football is still playing, right? You lose two out of your power five. So what this is is... Uh, 60% of a top 25 poll. So these are the top 16 teams that are left playing college football this fall right now. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think you and I both are, I, I hate the AP poll because it's it's sports writers. And, and as much as I, I am a sports writer, I love us as much as the next guy. We're not great people to ask to rank a country or to vote for a Heisman because we are, nor- except for like the national writers, we are focused on our beats. So on a Saturday, we are probably watching the game we're covering, yep. and that takes up half our day, and then maybe like a night game or a morning game. We're not able to watch that much. So it's like we shouldn't, the AP poll shouldn't mean much. The coaches' poll should mean even less because coaches don't really care at all. The SIDs fill it out half the time. And, like, so neither of these polls really mean crap to me, and that's why I love the college football playoff rankings because they actually put real thought into it. Or it's why I love the SP Plus because it takes out all the laziness and actually uses good, hard numbers. Huh. So I'm interested in this, though, just be- and I don't think it's going to be perfect. I disagree with them on plenty, but I like it just because, I mean, you know as well as I, Ross and Pat are two of the more plugged-in people in the college football landscape. So I do kind of, like care about what they have to say on this and we'll get to it clemson is number one no change there yeah alabama's number two which is pretty much chalk considering they were you know right behind ohio state georgia three so so far consistent oklahoma four so far consistent and then it gets fun and this is what i'm here for florida number five yeah i love i mean Florida number five was like some had him like in the what 10 11 range and the AP poll had him nine or eight so I mean that that's a big surprise and you and I are Florida guys but we still had like a wait and see mode on that right like we still had like a I want to see what Trask is like with a full off season want to see what they're like after losing their best pass rusher all those kind of things putting them five is fascinating it, it is interesting so it looks like yeah they're eight in the AP poll you take out Penn State and Ohio State were ahead of them and then they jump LSU and they move up to number five in the still standing 16. Uh, yeah, we're really high on them. Um, so I get it. I know some people may not agree, but it seems like Ross and Forty are uh, with us that uh, Dan Mullen is a very good coach. LSU fans know that all too well. He has more talent at Florida. He has a little time there now. Still the, fa- the schedule, even with the changes, is advantageous over Georgia. So, uh, yeah, if not now, when? But obviously, with Georgia at number three and Florida at five, like something's got to give there. Yeah, and then I think the the big one is, I think that you're probably going to get really annoyed at is Notre Dame six. Are you annoyed? What's your no, annoyance level? No, uh, I don't... I don't... I'm not really Notre Dame a hater. I I think Notre Dame challenges All right. themselves. I thought I thought you for sure would. No, no, no. I think they play. You know, I think they challenge themselves. I think they play good schedules. I think for some reason they're held to this bar that Oklahoma is not. Is it just because Oklahoma wins conference championships? Like I think Notre Dame actually hurts themselves not being in a conference because they don't get to claim championships. Like how has Oklahoma been any less embarrassing than Notre Dame has on national stages? 
at the end of the season. So, like, we always say that Notre Dame should no longer get the benefit of the doubt, so why should Oklahoma? So, like, if we're going to have the Sooners up there, uh, I'm fine with having Notre Dame up there as well. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a good point with the Oklahoma comparison. And I'm with you. I mean, I am – I am frustrated by Notre Dame, and I kind of have officially, like, I will admit I've reached the, like, yeah, 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 roll my eyes. We'll, I'll believe it when I see them win a playoff game mode. Like, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm not going to lie They almost beat it. Georgia but, last year in Georgia. Everybody's fucking darling. I know. That's what I was going to say. I mean, I was going to circle back and be like, Notre Dame, though, at the same time, even though I am kind of, like, out on them as a true contender, I do think it's a little unfortunate they get kind of that that Wisconsin thing. Remember, like Wisconsin was ten to zero, and everyone's like, "They're not good. They haven't played anyone." And it's like, well, just because you haven't proven you're elite by not playing anyone doesn't mean you've also proven you're bad. Yeah, it just I'm means sorry. we don't know yet. Like, so it's like Notre Dame. Every single year they win ten games. Every single year they are right there. We shouldn't rule them out because they get whooped by a team that ends up proving they're the best team in the country. You know what I mean? Like, if they got destroyed by I don't know, like. Oklahoma State, then it's like, well, okay, maybe Notre Dame's not good. But I do think, like, they are – I don't think anyone can argue they are year in, year out, one of the most consistent and pretty darn good football teams. Yeah. So I just, like, contradicted myself and talked in circles, and this is a great podcasting in my opinion. But <laughs> I, I agree with – <laughs> I agree with them being like about where they are. I am just kind of surprised they're ahead of LSU. No, I mean, well, but, and this is where it just, it seems like 40 and Delger are just on the other side of the equation. LSU's going to lose a lot more than people think because they're not even checking in at number seven. This is where Mike Gundy and company check in. Oklahoma State <laughs> captured number seven on the still standing 16. Um, Brody, is it confirmed now? That Ross Dellinger and Pat Forty are QAnon guys. I think that's the buzz, and I think that's something we got to get you know trending on Twitter. Just get some people talking. Yeah, yeah. It yeah Ross like, doesn't deal with enough bullshit on Twitter already. Let's have people coming into his. I want to get Ross drinking by. It's twelve thirty right now, Central Time, and it's one thirty Eastern Time. Let's get him drinking by three. You know, oh, let's yeah, let's dude. get him there. His mentions are already hostile enough. Let's take him to a darker place. But yeah, I, I am. I'm really surprised by it. And then you take a closer look and you're like, okay, maybe they're onto something. And that's where I do the, and you know me, I, I kind of can be like a little fake sometimes because sometimes I'll hear someone I trust say something I didn't know. And I immediate, my immediate reaction is, all right, maybe they know something I don't know. Yeah. You know, and that's just like how I try to view it. And it's like, okay, these guys know what they're talking about in general. And Oklahoma State has a really exciting offense and some really exciting playmakers. They had some highs and lows last year, but they also, from what I understand, were a relatively young team last year. So you're a year older, you have the continuity, and I mean, Chubba Hubbard's obviously the good. So again, it falls in the category of I wouldn't put them ahead of LSU, but I love it. I love someone taking a chance yeah. and being like, hey, we're not going to make a chalk pull. Yes, Let's yes. Shoot, shoot your shot. That's what I'm saying. They wanted a little heat. And the key to that is you have to go. It's like when you talk about value gambling, right? You got to go for something that's a long shot, but that you can justify, right? Like it's a long shot, but it could hit. And then if it does hit, you're like, I mean, look at this. We had them at number seven in the poll. What can I say? We knew Mike Gundy. We love him. <laughs> uh, so yeah, shout out to Oklahoma State checking at seven. It's like, 
It's like how I have Mavericks plus 400 to win the Clippers series, oh. and I'm going to tell everybody about that. Oh. But I'm not going to mention that I also had Sixers plus 330 because <laughs> nobody asked, and I'm not going to let anyone know that. I'm just going to be like, guys, you see that long shot I took? Oh, yeah, dude. Smart guy. I know I know hoops, you know? Oh, my God. So, yeah. I cannot wait to watch Luka play again tonight. All right. Uh, so I know. LSU checking in at 8, whatever. Um, you know, nothing, nothing <laughs> to expound on. Uh, Texas A&M at 9. Uh, our favorite team, so LSU and A&M, remaining kind of pole bosom buddies. Uh, Cincinnati at 10. How about that? Cincy uh, breaking into the top 10 in this new era of college football. And that's interesting because obviously it's not just that they moved up because of, you know, not being, you know, there being less teams. They moved ahead of North Carolina. Like, if you're just going by what the AP people had, you're putting them ahead of North Carolina, put them ahead of Texas, putting ahead of Wisconsin and Auburn and Oregon and a bunch. I mean, not Oregon. They're obviously out. But, yeah. So, you're actually, they made a conscious move to put them ahead of a lot of people. And, obviously, Marcus Freeman's become, like, one of the hottest new rising coordinators in, in college football, the defensive coordinator there. So, that defense has been proven to be pretty darn good. And, obviously, Luke Fickle's a really good defensive mind, too. Desmond Ritter showed some really good stuff. And, yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm here for for it and I and I love that they're a team that is pretty much proven they can keep things rolling. Luke Fickle is, you know, if you're if you have like your stock rankings of coaches, I mean I tried to buy some two years ago, but I won't pretend I was like Mr. Luke Fickle. But, yeah, I know his stock is higher than it can ever be. The guy turned down Michigan State. So, I mean, that that shows kind of what he has built there. And I think Cincinnati is probably more sustain. It's much more sustainable as a group of five actual contender every year than UCF was. So, I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know, I love Brody. It. it sounds like you've been pretty fickle to me. Nice, uh, nailed it, buddy. It I like. I'm glad that joke was 25 minutes in. Luke so, like, Fickle. there's a chance people didn't no, hear it. I, yeah, I was just like, shut up, shut up, shut up. You just kept talking, and I was just trying to get it out so badly. <laughs> uh, so after Cincinnati, you got Texas. Uh, shout out, and you got Auburn, Memphis, UNC, and then this is probably the last really surprising team. Uh, FSU checking in at 15, or is that surprising? <laughs> so. Yes, I mean the answer is yes. There's no way you can pretend it's not. But I mean, as I said on the radio this morning, that falls in the I like the shot you're going to shoot, you know, mentality because you know Andy Staples put it pretty well in his. Uh, I think it was like two months ago. We even talked about it on the show about like playoff, you know, playoff odd bets you should take right now. And he put one crazy one out there, which was Florida State at crazy odds because. At the end of the day, as much as of an absolute mess as they are, and they are, they're probably not going to do well, but. They are. They recruit well consistently. You know the talents there, and Willie Taggart inherited a mess from the end of the Jimbo era. But he did make a lot of good steps to change things, and you did see things like, in in some ways, improving last year. So I do think that like Norvell is inheriting a job that did fix a lot of the biggest holes. I actually very much do stand by that. Hmm. I actually think Taggart didn't do he did not win games and that is what you should get fired for but at the same time i do think he kind of fixed some problems a little bit or at least made progress i guess no taggart norvell game day management was probably the worst part. i mean you can't have the guy the guy lining up backwards is just an image that's going to live on no matter the explanation yeah he deserved to get fired i'm just saying i think there's like things that he shouldn't be ruled off forever for and mike norvell is a coach that has proven the guy can just flat out win so i I like that as a bet because you know florida state has talent like you're not gonna like just because two years went bad doesn't isn't gonna prove to me that florida state isn't still one of the top 
12 most talented programs on a year-to-year basis. So you factor that in with the coach you trust, a veteran quarterback. Yeah, I like that as a fun bet. So that is the still standing, still standing, still standing 16. Uh, shout out to Ross Dellinger and Pat Forty for coming up with that list. Now, Brody, let's transition to Ed Ogeron. He spoke with the media today. He also came in OTB this morning. Um, what were your big takeaways from Ogeron's latest press conference? Well, I'll start with one that I know we said on your show, and it really became a theme from your show to the presser today, which is not even a surprise, but just the mandate of it, and I think the strongness of it is the news, and it's that he, he's pretty big on Jabril Cox being like the star that he was advertised. He said on your show he thinks he looked like the best player on the field the other day, and like I mean, when he or for the whole camp or something. So, I mean, Jabril Cox came in as a what a second or third round possible draft pick kind of guy, but you just never know know what it's going to look like when you go from FCS to FBS. You never know, you know, how it's going to go with any transfer. And now it really does sound like he is just like the stud linebacker he was sold as. Yeah, wild to hear him say that, dude. Um and, is it and, wild? Uh, I, I I think it is because it's it, it's a statement that's not made lightly, right? I mean, obviously, it's probably not made literally either. But like, you don't say that unless you're trying to juice up the hype around a guy a bit. And and so on a defense, or no, on a field where you have Jamar Chase, and Derek Stingley. Like I said, I I don't think it's made completely literally. But hearing him say, walking off that field, he felt like Jabril Crocs was the best player on the field. That is pretty wild. To me. Like that speaks very highly because for the reasons that you said, like not only is jump making the jump in competition tough on guys sometimes, but making the jump to a new environment. He's been in the freezing north, and now he's in like the hot ass, terrible, like humid south. Uh, it's been an unprecedented off season. He's had to meet new people while social distancing. Like all of these things. And uh, so, yeah, to hear that was, I, I thought, very impressive for Cox. And what else it means is that just, you know, here at the onset of a new season, it looks like LSU may be another big-time two-for-two in terms of finding starters uh, from the graduate transfer pool. It's true. I mean, yeah, we've been kind of a broken record on our show about just the bizarre hit rate going on there. But, yeah, I mean, it, if if Cox is good and if and Shanahan is actually overachieving, I mean, he was brought in, like we all said a million times, he was brought in to be a depth move, and now it looks like he's the 100% sure starting center. So even if he's just average, that's a huge hit. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that LSU might go 5 for 5 in grad transfers, I mean, that's that's genuinely not normal. I mean, like, granted, grad, like I said on your show this morning, Yes, grad transfer, you have a slightly better like accuracy rate than a normal transfer because they're probably known commodities. But it's the idea that, I mean, you basically have – it's they're hitting – aside from Cox, you're hitting on guys that aren't obvious commodities. You're hitting on a backup quarterback who had basically never seen the field becomes a Heisman winner. You have a kicker in Cole Tracy who was really good but was at Assumption College and nobody had heard of. And then Greg McMahon finds him and he becomes an All-American at LSU and breaks records. You have Terrence Alexander who, I mean, obviously wasn't a star but was an average player at Stanford, not a big name, and became a co-starter at LSU. So, solid hit. And then now Jabril Cox was a huge name and you hit it. So, it seems like it. And then Liam Shanahan was a Harvard guy that literally nobody had heard of unless you watch Ivy League football. And now it sounds like, you know, James Craig found him out of nowhere, and now he might be your starting center. So the hit rate there is actually, like, I give credit where it's due. That would be pretty remarkable if they could actually hit on both those guys. Remarkable is a good word because uh, talent evaluation is so damn spotty 
to have that to, to, to have that average is just absolutely insane. Um, other things that jumped out to me, uh, it sounds like Joseph Evans is maybe asserting himself at right guard, yeah. making moves. So the offensive line starting to take shape. Dare Rosenthal left guard, Ing- or excuse me, left tackle Ingram. A left guard, Shanahan at center, Joseph Evans a right guard, and then Austin Deckers a right tackle. Now the reaction to the Evans news, ironically, has been less about Evans and more about like Cardell Thomas, right? And Anthony yeah. Bradford. And and so what's your take on where those guys currently are? <laughs> I mean, Ogeron really surprised me because I mean, granted he's been quiet. He went from like talking about them a lot in the spring to going really quiet about them in the summer. But those were two guys that they were like He's called Anthony Bradford maybe the most talented lineman on the offensive line. I mean, they love Anthony Bradford. Cardell Thomas, we all know, is a five-star. And now he's basically just flat out saying they are falling behind and they are not even on the two-deep right now. So that that is genuinely news because they were guys that you oh, and I wow, both— Oh, I missed that. I didn't realize you said that. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, those are guys that I think— until the Shanahan news happened, you and I had penciled one of them as the starting right guard, and now neither of them are even the backup. Thomas, I think some of it's injury stuff, weight stuff. I think he's just kind of been a little disappointing all around. Anthony Bradford, they still love him, but the weight is a consistent problem, and I don't think mm-hmm. he's somebody who thrived in the pandemic. You know, So I think that that's big news just because those are two guys that they really penciled in to be their future at guard. And don't get me wrong, they like the freshman coming in. I think they're fine at guard in the long run, but that is disappointing for the future a little bit. And, and I mean, the fact that you felt the need to move Evans over is relevant because Evans was supposed to be – I mean, that was like the plan. That was the big win, right? It was that Joseph Evans now, because Shanahan steps up and Hines moves over, you suddenly felt good about letting Joseph Evans completely commit to learning center and being the center of the future. That was the plan. And now you already have to move him to guard, which sounds like he's doing good. He's got a really good athletic body build. I could see him doing great there. That's big news. But the fact that you felt the need to move him over is kind of a not going to make a bigger deal than it is it's a backup guard situation but it's just well, like that's, but, but that's it, things yeah it, it may have just been it is i mean it may just be a situation where he just um you know he he just look you want to get your best five on the field right you're, you're you're almost seeing a similar thing with uh the saints right now with their top draft pick from last year and then this year eric mccoy and caesar Ruiz, where yeah like mccoy's going to start at center he's going to start at guard but they're they're cross training them just to give yourself a little center depth. So they probably like where Evans is at at center, but not as much as Shanahan. But they know they still want Evans on the field. So like, hey, put him at right guard. We're, we're still weak there. We're not where we want to be. <laughs> and then, uh, who knows, in the future, maybe he would go back to center. Or yeah, absolutely. if there's an injury, he'd probably bump over, and then the, the next right guard comes in. So, so is your shout out to that- Joseph Evans, dude, finding a way to the field. I just want to make sure I kind of read this right. I mean, is your read on it right now that he's like legitimately in a in a competition with Jason Hines at right guard, or that he's just like doing well there? Uh oh no. I mean, I guess I just I I just assumed that he um was ahead of Jason Hines. At okay, this wow. Point. See, that, yeah, that's I, what I took it. I didn't get a good vibe, so I'm genuinely asking. Okay. Yeah, this morning when he was talking, about, I, I I took it like like Joseph Evans is the starting right guard right now in terms of where they're at in camp. Wow. Uh, but I guess I, I, may, maybe I'm jumping to conclusions. Uh, and the last thing uh, here, you just, Coy, Coy Moore seems to be getting a little juice. Yeah, so he's somebody, I mean, I'd asked some sources over the past week, like anybody really surprising you? And like a common name I heard was Coy Moore looks really, really good. And he's a guy who was always, I mean, he's a top, what, 150 or like 200-ish front, um, signee out of New Orleans. And, you know, I mean, they always liked him. He always seemed like a guy who was like your – you know, your perfect little slot receiver type guy, route runner. 
but I didn't. I don't think anyone thought he'd be really in the mix this year. He seemed like a guy who, like, you know, year two or three would break out. It sounds like, I mean, you're hearing his name much more than you're hearing five-star Keishon Butse, for example. So I think that is relevant news, that Coy Moore is really turning heads. Even Ogeron said, I think he's going to have, like, an excellent freshman year, I think he said. So, I mean, just if we're going right now, and it's a week into camp, I don't want to overreact, but... It sounds like he is probably the number four receiver right behind Racy McMath. And considering the understanding that I think they're going to rotate much more at receiver than they did last year, that that's relevant. Like he's actually going to see the field quite a bit if it, if if the season started today. Yeah, it's uh, we talked to Derek Sigley Senior this morning, and he just, I mean, he just kind of was laughing because there's just such an abundance of talent in the receivers and tight ends room at LSU right now. Uh, it's kind of crazy. In fact, I mean, the the anecdotal evidence on Eric Gilbert is out of this world. And then, like, for me, just the videos of 6'7", Cole Taylor, and, like, 6'5", Nick Storrs <laughs> are tantalizing, if nothing else, in terms of red zone creativity. So it's probably something that... <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> That's probably something that I want to give another week to develop and then circle yeah. back around to it next week. But I'm getting very hyped about the uh, the tight end room at LSU right now. And, and not just for Arik Gilbert. Like, I think you could do some really interesting 12 personnel things uh, coming up this season. But as I said, we can we can push that back till next week. Um, this is the Hold That Podcast podcast. I really wanted to make fun of you Brody for the Sixers completely falling apart and I wanted to celebrate the the greatness of Luka Doncic and 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 how I love that the the Thunder are are proving the Rockets insane threes only strategy to maybe be a bit flawed but I'm not sure if we have time this week unfortunately yeah. do, you, do you have one NBA take oh, no. get in before we go out here um that there's no hope, and they butchered one of the best, pro- one of the coolest, exciting futures I've ever seen in basketball, and they butchered it. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> Hashtag the process is dead. Uh, not our process, though. Uh, nice. It goes on, and we'll be back next week. Another hold that podcast podcast. So uh, if you like this, rate us and review it on iTunes. Five, like all that stuff, really, really helps. Um, sending it to your friends really helps too. Also, go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. If you use the sign up code 40% off, that's right, 40, get it super cheap. It is the best sports sites. No ads, no BS, super talented writers. It's awesome. Uh, Brody, anything to say as we sign off? I think that's it, man. Okay, well, we will see you next Tuesday. Have a great time. Buy your meats at A Bear Specialty Meats. See Hold That Podcast podcast. Thank you.